Greetings and hello. You are listening to I Don't Get It, your pop culture get off my lawn cast. This is the premier podcast that features the open, hopefully open minded musings of two mid to late 40s curmudgeons as we, yes, I'm one of the curmudgeons, stare down the prospect, the arrival, the reality of our entertainment relevance. I am one of those curmudgeons, your co host, Noah Tarno. I am the founder and senior quiz master of The Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show spectacular. And joining me this week, as every week, say hello, my friend. My name is Bill Scurry, and I am the founder and proprietor of something called American Caesar Enterprises, which, Noah, is an international think tank committed to finally answering the question, if you can't believe it's not butter, then what, in (laughs) fact, is it? Does is that, that product? Does that product still exist? That's a good question. I just think it's. Yeah. You know, can you imagine? I'm in, gonna Google it. Today's ridiculous. You know, like marketing has been reduced to smithereens and atoms, and it's like you know, advertising for movies is just faces on a poster. There's no art to it anymore. It's not. You're not allowed to have any art. But can you imagine a product being sold in today's age called? I can't believe it's not butter. It, it, at no point does it address what it actually is. But it's such a colloquial description. It, it's scary. It's scary. It's still, it, it's still out there. I find the website. Reasons to believe. I can't believe it's not butter. Original spread contains delicious buttery flavor with less saturated. And and it's one of these names that the, the the exclamation point is part of it in every case. Yeah. I can't believe it's not butter. Original spread. Contains. Banger. Yeah. Uh, so back in my high school years when I actually thought I had a shot at being a professional comedy writer someday, I used to write, and I worshiped David Letterman, I used to write for the school uh, like humor paper top 10 lists. And one of my best was top 10 products you never want to need. And one of them was, I can't believe it's not hair. Ah, I like that. Yeah, but this... say you like it, but you don't laugh. There's a a reason I'm not a comedy writer. Well, not a top 10 list writer in that case. Not not writing for Letterman or whatever. Your top 10 list game has has definitely uh, gotten better since then. But, you know, it does bring to mind, though, Noah, there's the topic of, like, I can't believe it's not butter. It makes me think of margarine, which was something in the yeah. universe that existed, and yet I never had anything to do with it. Like I don't know yeah. what margarine. Oh, I was. think we had. I think we used margarine growing up. I think margarine was a staple of our uh, fridge. So you had margarine, and you also had the yes. alternative to mayonnaise, which was Miracle Whip, and it's like God knows what that was too. Uh, Miracle Whip wasn't Miracle Whip tastes very different from. But mayonnaise. what was it? What was it? It was mayonnaise with like flavoring. Uh, I think it was different. It no, tastes I... like weird mayonnaise. Yeah, I, man. You know what? I'm a, I'm Jewish. Mayonnaise was was a bit of a novelty for us. What does that to do with did not appear in a Jewish fridge? Jewish for God's sake! What does it have to do with because any? Because we don't like mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is stereotypical. Like you put it on ham. You know, we had mustard. Right, I like both. You know what? It, I, I like th- both too. I, I, I mean, I we think, had a lot of mayonnaise. We ate tuna fish all the I time. Think, uh, I think I was going to say. I think you're uh, more people than you would. Mayonnaise is not liked by a great swath of people. It's not just a Jewish. Yeah, thing. there are people who think mayonnaise is like the devil. Like, There's just yeah. yeah the or, or well, it reminds them of phlegm and pus and stuff right. like that. And meanwhile, Sorry, when gross, you come, yeah. when you come to when you come to Europe, you know, you have aioli, which is essentially mayonnaise with a better name, and it's more artisanal. Yes. It's fucking delicious. It's great. It's like Miracle Whip. It's like I can't I can't believe I can't believe it is whatever that is. I can't believe it is. It's also like we never had Jews, we never had cool whip. You never you know, had, we're, we're, we're we're people of the earth, my friend. Cool whip. Well, why didn't you have cool whip? Cool whip was not, it was hydrogenated oil, whipped hydrogenated oil, I think. We didn't have 
Ready whip? I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it was just my family, but like we never had whipped cream or anything like that. Like, you know, my mom would make hot chocolate all the time. The idea of putting whipped cream on hot well, chocolate was just that was, that's a me. that's a custom. We didn't do that either. That's a custom thing. But it's like I wasn't averse yeah. to cream. Cream was cream was good where I come right. from. You know what I mean? Cream, you know, I I love cream. You know, sunshine of my, my love. And, well, this this uh, is this is a love. great episode of the cream of the the whipped egg cast or the cream the the, 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 the whipped product cast. The anyway no. product. Yeah. So we're done talking about artificially hydrogenated food-like substance products. Uh, so this show, you know, we're trying to keep up with pop culture. We look at something hot, new happening, people, trends. Uh, you know what? In the last year, Bill, we've been doing a lot of TV shows. Yeah, so it's a, we I, are I, living. I try to I try I to steer us away. I don't want to stick the TV show cast. You know? didn't have a better idea this week, so I know. You acquiesced pretty quickly it's to true. this idea, I which did. was mine. I ro- I, I, uh, I it was the Anschluss, like like Austria. Yes. I just caved in. <laughs> Sorry, you were you are not uh, uh, Admiral von Pratt or whatever his title was. Uh, <clears throat> von Pratt, von Trapp. I should know. I love the sound of music. Admiral von Trapp, Captain von. I think it was Captain von Trapp. Uh, anyway, so we look at uh, we're looking at a TV show this week. The hottest new TV show, one episode in, is called The Last of Us on HBO. Uh, The Last of Us is a dramatic TV series about the Pearson family, parents Jack and Rebecca, and their triplets Kevin, Kate, and Randall. And oh, I'm sorry, that's uh, This Is Us. I apologize. All right, yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Though that show would have been better if it had had zombies. Um, Anyway, no, uh, The Last of Us is uh, a TV show in the mushroom zombie micro genre. Uh, it is also in a slightly larger microgenre of TV shows adapted from hit video games. This is HBO's first show adapted from a video game, also called The Last of Us, which premiered in 2013, a, a quite lauded and popular video game. Many people consider it one of the best video games of all time. The show was co-created by Craig Mazin, who is best known for creating the other HBO show Chernobyl. Have you seen Chernobyl? Oh, uh, yeah. I thought that was a pan-gloss event. I, yeah, it was great. You didn't see it? Really? No, I'm intrigued. Oh, you it's would love it. List. It's really well yeah. done. It's just dark as I mean, fuck. It's great. Yeah, dark as fuck is good. And co-created by Neil Druckmann, who was creator of the This Is Us. The This Is Us. <laughs> Jesus. The Last of Us video game. The and, This Is Us video and game. And by the way, Neil Druckmann is not to be confused with Jason Alexander's detective character from that USA Network cartoon called Duckman. That's a different guy altogether. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, the show is co-created by Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann, who the video game for the Naughty Dog uh, video game studio. Uh, so the first episode of the TV show The Last of Us premiered last Sunday night. We are one episode in. This is hot, baby. Uh, last weekend, as of this recording, uh, when this recording is released, or probably the day of the second episode. And uh, the show tells the story of, yes, a fungus, a mushroom, uh, that uh, in, starts infecting human beings worldwide and leads to the collapse of civilization. Uh, basically, this uh, fungus in this story uh, infects people, takes over their minds, and turns them into mindless. I mean, you know, they're nerds. Say they're not really zombies because they're not dead, but t- turns them into mindless attacking beasts that just want to infect other people. Oh, like 28 days later. And uh, Bill, I had to, 10 minutes into the show, I had to stop and look up whether such a concept was possible. And apparently, this is based on an actual fungus that actually exists that does something like this to ants and other insects. Uh, It has not led to the collapse of ant civilization. I guess that's good. And I looked up whether it's plausible that something like this can happen, and the consensus is 
it's unlikely because the, this fungus and the insects it targets have evolved together for like 130 million years. So the jump to humans would be, you know, unlikely. Uh, the show posits that it happens because of global warming. I did read something that said it might jump to human beings, but if it did, it would almost certainly lose its zombifying power. So uh, basically, bottom line is don't worry about it. Uh, so the show starts, the very beginning starts, and it, it mimics the opening figure out how to work things sequence in the video game. Uh, it's, it's set in 2003 when the pandemic hits, the fungus attacks, and then it quickly cuts to 20 years later where the main character, Joel, still survives in a quarantine zone in Boston area. He is now a smuggler, and he is tasked by uh, basically what's left of civilization is in a military uh, dictatorship, and he's tasked by the rebel group called the Fireflies with escorting a teenager named Ellie across a post-apocalyptic United States, uh, and uh, Ellie apparently is the one person who seems immune to the fungus, so they want to get her a place where they can, you know, use her to help uh, create a cure. Uh, so he has to escort her, of course, uh, post-apocalyptic United States, and mad cap shenanigans ensue. Uh, yes, this plot to me sounds very reminiscent of Why the Last Man, which, as I've said to you before, Bill, there is a plausible argument for why I should be credited for creating Why the Last Man. I could tell you that later. It is not completely false, that theory. There is a possible truth to that. Anyway, it stars uh, as Joel. It stars Pedro Pascal, who first became famous in uh, Game of Thrones. I know him best as the Mandalorian in The Mandalorian. Although, is that really him? Most of the show in The Mandalorian, he's got his mask on. Is that actually Pedro Pascal in the costume? The consensus is that it can't possibly be. It's a series of stuntmen for the most part. So he's barely in that show because he takes his mask off for like, not until like the eighth episode or something. Anyway. He is the Mandalorian. He was also Maxwell Lord in Wonder Woman 1984, which I wanted to like, but alas. Uh, The young girl is also a Game of Thrones alum, Bella Ramsey. She's a, I I guess her character's like 14, but I looked her up. She's like 19. And there's also a supporting role by Anna Torv, who I know from Mindhunter, which is such a damn good show. And she was so good on Mindhunter. I will get to in a minute my opinion of her on the show. Uh, but Bill, first, what did you think of The Last of Us? I liked it well enough in spite of being burned out on uh, apocalypse programming and, you know, like, game uh, not Game of Thrones. Uh, Walking Dead has been going on churning for a long, long time now. No, they eight. ended it. Didn't they just end it? No, uh, they didn't end it because it, it's like something like five spinoffs. It's, it's the only thing of any value AMC has. So, But the problem is, is that... The Walking Dead hasn't been interesting ever, other than maybe the first episode. <laughs> it's been it's been a show. I was I was hooked for the first few seasons and I just drifted away. I was angry after the first episode and I stuck with it for like three of them and I'm like I can't do this anymore. But the thing is, it's like you know a lot of this fiction. You mentioned Twenty Eight Days Later. That's apocalypse fiction. You know, there's also that movie uh, Children of Men, the Quaron movie, where Clive Owen is tasked to shepherd a woman who's the last fertile person on the human race to some place where... Oh, I forget. So here we go. The same thing. Why the last man? Children of men. Yeah. Oh, you're the one person who could stop this shit. Yeah. We need to make... Yeah, okay. I mean, it's a trope. I get it. You know, and the thing is that when when this was in a video game, that's one thing. Um, A video game has a few things going for it that, uh, you know, like televisual and or motion picture entertainment can't match and that... 
you know, video game is always going to be an active experience. What what the Naughty Dog does, Naughty Dog has a couple of different series. They have the Uncharted series, and they have this, Last of Us, which I think is, there's two of them, Last of Us 1 and Last of Us 2 has come out recently. I think there's a third one planned as well. Um, you're playing, I mean, it is a cinematic movie. Apparently, if you look on YouTube, if you're looking for the actual cinematics of the Last of Us video game from the PlayStation... It exists in one chunk. It's about three hours. That's what you get. You get a three-hour film that you play. I mean, that is just the cut-together scenes outside of gameplay is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, but you're just running around within the narrative. I mean, uh, I guess I don't really understand, like, if there's a set narrative, how do you have action? Anyways, and how do you have agency? You know, that's a good point. Yeah. Is because, I mean, that's an, it's another argument of another day. I mean, because I did play the game for an afternoon. I test drive because it was impossible to be a gamer and not know the reputation of it. Um, ultimately, I think it was way too... Um, you're playing through a movie, and so you don't get that much agency. You're playing through scenes that are almost dictated. You're just running from one side of the room to the other. And it was a couple of scenes where you have to go past one of those mushroom head monsters without tripping it, without waking it up. And I couldn't do it. And I, after three hours, I, I took the game out of the PlayStation. I snapped it in half. And they didn't adapt that scene in the movie, <laughs> no. Let me tell you. That's for damn sure. But... So the, the thing is, it's like the writing uh, of the game that I remember was fine. It was, you know, I, you, you get the, the... I think that the entertainment washes over you if you feel like you're a little bit more active in it. So there wasn't the high bar of originality. The game had, abs, you know, absolutely uh, had atmosphere. It had, um, you know, characters that after, after hours and hours, after probably 80 hours of playing the game, like you were 70 hours, I forget how long the gameplay was, you know, you wind up having the Stockholm Syndrome with the characters in front of you. You know, when, when you're doing a TV show, it's a completely different beast. And especially if you're adapting a video game, you have to smooth over all the weaknesses and hopefully absorb the strengths. And like, you know, the originality wasn't the most, wasn't the thing that you came to with Last of Us. Although I'm sure people who play the game would, would crow about its originality for, for years because they don't watch TV. They don't watch movies. They don't, they're not, they don't have no legacy. There's no sense of what came before. Is that really true? Uh, for all entertainment, there's more people who play the last of us. Don't watch zombie movies. Come on. Well, they're not generational. They don't have legacy. That's a problem. That's a problem more with the era we're living in, in terms of not having a sense of history, but that's, that's why you can re you can represent something that already existed in a perfect form 20 years ago. And people will say, that's like watching Buster Keaton's silent films. It's too know, far back to bother remembering, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. I know. Anyway. It bothers me, yeah. I'm not sure, you know, like the, 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 the Craig Mazin is a, a great director. Um, the Chernobyl series was great. You know, I think one of the creators of the game, Neil Druckmann, came over with him. Um, so far, after one episode, it's pretty good. However, I felt like it was very tropey. I felt like the first... 35 minutes was the apocalypse. That was day one. And then it does that time jump, like you said. As soon as the camera went live and you saw that, like, the light posts were overrun, the buildings were falling over, you know, like nature has almost come back to some degree. Everything's, everything's wooded. There's creeper vines everywhere. And you're seeing a city that's behind walls with guys, you know, guys are trimming uh, with uh, searchlights and there's, you know, paramilitary police holding doors and it's a little bit of road warrior it's a little bit you know post-apocalyptic zombie stuff i'm like okay i've seen this a hundred times too this was almost every 10th episode of the walking dead had some fortification with some people a couple of warlords had appointed themselves of a thing this was the governor in in you know in in the walking dead that some of that stuff sticks with me and knocks the project down more now i understand what's coming this is an hbo show that's the pilot it was a 90-minute pilot or some, something close to it. It was almost like a feature length to get it off the ground. There is, I think, this was a 10-episode season. Um, I know what's coming. 
not because I know what happened with the game, but I know HBO's style is that they're going to blow the doors off. And what may happen in a scene setting in a world building pilot is only the touchstone for some oh, crazy, absolutely. yeah, some craziest shit coming down the road. And so whatever kind of hesitation, if this was a feature, I would have given it three stars. Um, but that's the thing. This is not a feature. Out, out of out of what? Out of five. Twenty. Out of five. Out of okay. twenty. Out of 20. <laughs> out of, you know, three stars out of a hundred. Standard. You know, thirty-one stars is the total. Yeah. I would have given it three out of thirty. Out of a, out of a scale, thirty-one point seven five. I give yeah. this. Uh, and um, and if, if you live, if you're within the sound of my voice, by the way, apparently episode three, which critics had, but uh, no viewer has said, but episode three apparently is supposed to be a, a real doorbuster, um, something crazy. That's supposed to be the, you know, you, this is HBO. HBO has, um, you know, they got real mandates in terms of when they make content. Every episode's got to come hard. There's obviously there's some bum episodes here and there, but their Sunday at nine spot, which this show is, is delivered the goods. That has changed entertainment, uh, you know, the way that we know it. And going back to the Sopranos, my friend. Absolutely. And so I, I am having faith that this is going to be more than the okay thumbs up pilot and that it's going to turn into something dazzling especially after 10 episodes you know because that's what they do that's their job pretty much okay well i probably 75 percent where you are um you know I, I i thought it was okay i'm definitely gonna watch the second episode whether i make it beyond that i don't know i mean you said the third's supposed to be a banger so i'll probably commit myself to the third i mean look we we the end of the first episode the two main characters say we're going to hit the road so we don't really see the meat of the plot yet right and they're gonna go from place to place and right like walking dead see warlords and see preppers and see monsters and see you know whatever so yeah it's kind of unfair to judge it at this point in some respects um but my favorite part of this was the beginning was the the breakout because that's it's pretty good it's pretty good that's what i like and that's (laughs) like every zombie movie that's my favorite part yeah i mean i remember the 2003 or whatever, 2004, Dawn of the Dead. Still Zack Snyder's best movie. And this resembled that. And that beginning yeah, resembled I, that. I like that movie a lot, but the best part is the beginning when uh, Sarah Polly discovered it, just how grim and gruesome it is. And this was very similar in many respects. There's a great... And I watched the equivalent um, online from the video game, and it's very similar, but I actually thought the TV show improved upon There's an amazing scene, spoiler alert, but whatever. By the way, spoiler alert, the whole our whole episode here. Uh, Joel and his kid and his brother are trying to get away in a truck, and they see through the window of the car. And it's sort of like point of view. You see through the window the panic, the mania, and basically you see a plane crash nosedive into the street like a block from them. And that I thought was pretty stunning. Um, but when I watched the footage online from the beginning of the video game, and it looked so similar— I started feeling like, you know what this has? This has a problem that a lot of, not so much anymore, but certainly for a while, a lot of comic book adaptations have, which they felt too indebted to the source material. They felt almost like, oh, look, we're doing a video game TV show. So it's it's like a video, the point of view thing of a video game. Like Sin City. Remember the Sin City movie? Especially uploaded from the comic. Do you remember Ang Lee's Hulk movie, which yes, had like comic panels? panels? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back even further. In the late 60s, there was a Broadway show, rarely revived, called It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. Do you know about that? I do not. The set for It's a Bird, It's a Plane, Superman was set up like comic book panels. It was like people were in the Hollywood squares, like up in, in, there's photos online. I I mean, it hasn't really stood the test of time. I don't think it's revived very often. 
But it's a very conscious, like, I mean, you could say the old Batman show was a little like this too with the pow and everything. I thought that was a little more stylized. Very conscious, oh, look, we're doing a video game uh, TV show, which I don't know. I don't know if that's really a problem, but it felt a little precious to me. Uh, you know, I thought that opening thing was great. I wanted to see the zombies a little more clearer, but that's okay. Then when we get to the present day, it, yeah, I just walking dead all over the place. It felt like it brought nothing new. We weren't seeing the zombies enough. That bothered me. It did look great. It had some good details. It was a great, you know, remember, society collapses in 2003. There's a moment you just see the people hanging out in the quarantine zone. You see a guy wearing a Gore Lieberman t-shirt. Yeah. Because they haven't made anything. And I no like fa- that. There's no fabrication. You can't yeah, no one. Well, no one's making T-shirts since 2000. And he, and remember, he's a dope dealer. He asked for the plastic bag back. Because where the fuck are you going to find yeah, a plastic bag? Yeah, he wants bag? a plastic bag. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I thought the show was plagued with bad acting. I did not recognize Anna Torv at first. She is stunningly good in Mindhunter. Here, I thought she came across as terrible. And it's probably the case where, no, it's probably a case where, you know, it's not about the actor. It's about the material or maybe about the direction. Uh, So Bella Ramsey, one of the stars, I read a review in The Guardian that said she's stunningly good. I thought she was, again, she might be the greatest actor in the world. I thought she was incredibly annoying cliche as the smart ass girl who always has an answer to everything and challenges authority. The Fireflies, the, the rebel leader, I thought was just such a cliche don't fuck this up she says like give me a break um so i don't know i'll watch more you know i'm being a little critical there but i'm not seeing prestige level tv here if you don't think there's hope for the world why bother going on you haven't seen the world so you don't know. All right, now let's get right into it. Why is this show popular? Well, that video game apparently took the world by storm. You know, I've never played it. I had heard of it. I'm not a video game guy. We've been over this on this show. So you have something super popular. You adapt it to another medium. People are going to be all over it. Uh, the staying power of zombies is not fading away. <laughs> I mean, there are many scholarly papers written on why zombies touch a nerve with people. And I think those reasons get all the more potent in our society as years go on you know the idea that the monster is us right um and a lot of the things that annoy me about the acting like you said like people think something's new just because it's antecedents are 20 years old and and cultural memory is so short so the smart aleck attitude girl the hard as nails don't fuck this up female badass leader those things are cliches but they're cliches for a reason because people like them and you have a lot of kids or a lot of dumb people who don't see how unoriginal they are. And frankly, or they do see how unoriginal they are, but they like them anyway. And, you know, I don't want to shitty show shame people. If this show makes them happy, it makes them happy. Watch your fucking zombie show and enjoy life and be glad for all the problems in the world. We probably don't have to worry about, you know, mushrooms destroying civilization. So that's why. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, I could simply state that this is... Sunday at nine on HBO. Um, sometime, sometime, <laughs> because it's on TV. Yeah. That's why people are watching. People watch it because it's on TV, Jerry. But yeah. th- that's it's it's um, you know that's a big statement, and I, it hasn't lost any power, which is really bizarre considering that so many different brands on planet Earth have degraded. You know, Pixar doesn't mean anything close to what it used to, even though we 
we invested this sort of wonderful, goopy second of childhood on it because it was returning such dividends. But, you know, Pixar can't say it's Pixar anymore. Disney and all the, like, Star Wars can't say it's Star Wars anymore. There's been this inflation, this overinflation of all this stuff that was good at one point. How many fucking Star Wars shows are there now? That's the I point. I can't keep up. That's the point. There were, when we were kids, there were three movies and like five books. That's it. Now there's like eight. Oh, it's too much. When Warner's or uh, AT and T took over Warner's and HBO and made the whole thing a sort of vertical, uh, they there was this really telling meeting that apparently was like a, a legendary boardroom meeting at HBO. You know, HBO's offices are up on uh, Madison Madison Square, right? Or uh, uh, yeah. And um, up on Madison Square, says the guy in Amsterdam to the guy in San Francisco. Exactly. Okay. And so yeah. apparently uh, John Stanky, who was the head of AT&T, said to his each, name's John Stanky. S-T-A-N-K-E-Y. Terrible. Oh, that's name. a bad Terrible name. name. Yeah. Bad and, name. and, you know, all he did was sort of sell the fact that he was a complete pinhead. He told the all the assembled people who were there, they were getting read the introduction to AT&T saying HBO is now part of a vertical, you're part of the family, and here's what the expectations are. And Richard Plepler, who was the HBO president at the time, or Noah, as we say in the trades, Prexy. He was the Prexy, Noah. Right? Yeah. Ankle it to the Prexy. Anyway, so... Yeah, ankle. John... John uh, <laughs> John Stanky says what HBO does on Sunday night, which, you know, like it's absolute mastery. Sunday night at nine o'clock has been a brand, at least since The Sopranos, if not before with Sex and the City and, and, and Oz. Right. And there were some things beforehand that were, you know, warm ups for what, what Sopranos did. They said, AT&T said, you need to do that every night of the week. And Richard Plepler said, uh, we'll discuss this because you know what? You know how, how hard it is to do it one night of the week? We can't own every single night of the week. Yes. If everything's special, nothing's special. It would be mission creep. It's like the, the yeah. amount of effort, labor, and delectation it takes to maintain Sunday at 9 with the few brands. Maybe they launched two shows a year. The last one was White Lotus, which you didn't talk about. But it was fucking fabulous. Right. I mean, it's what, I know. I, that's that's very close to the top of my list. Of and that, that really moved the needle. Season 2 of White Lotus moved the needle. But anyway, my point is... is that uh, Sunday at nine on HBO is a pretty good bet of popularity out of the gate. Before that, it was uh, you know it was, it was Dragon's House, as I like to call it, House of the Dragon. You know, like this is this is banger after banger after banger. It's a safe spot, a safe brand. Um, you know, it's a big deal. Now, how about this in particular? Um, this series is very well built uh, via the efforts of gifted long form storytellers like Craig Mason. You know, who's who. This guy between Chernobyl and this, he proves he can master tone and action over the course of a sort of 10-hour season, you know, with plenty of HBO signature violence and sex, which I'm assuming the third episode is going to give you something mind-blowing. It's going to be horribly disturbing. That's the point, is that they know how to build they know how to build episodes and they know how to build seasons out of episodes. That's what they do. They do 10 hours of televisual programming. That's wonderful. And again, let's not uh, forget the power of Pascal. This guy that you were you're ratting off his credits. Pedro Pascal is in this weird catbird seat right now, where he's almost universally beloved by everybody. He has really not that actors have a choice in doing genre work. That's what there is. It's it's comic book shit. It's slot slot schlock action. You know, uh, this this is the guy who started as a stage actor in Los Angeles and New York. In fact, he was was it born in Chile. His parents moved to the U.S. to get away from was it Allende? Is that who I'm thinking of? Uh, was the dictator? No, Chile was Pinochet. Pinochet. Okay, Allende was uh, Argentina, I think, or Peru, Peru. Anyway, my my point is that he grew up in America, was a theater wunderkind, and was a th was a theater trained actor for a while. Got into movies, uh, had this great. People knew him as an actor's actor, and now it's like he did supporting stuff like Game of Thrones for years, and now he's 
He's a face. I think he's 38 or 39. He's right on the cusp of... No, he's already. Oh, he's already. He's exactly 75. He's 47. Yeah, he's born the same year as us. Yeah, Yeah, and you know, it's like he's peaking at the right moment, and people love The Mandalorian. They love him. They have a parasocial relationship, which, of course, is the least healthy thing in the world to do. Right. But I mean, And then we're going to discover he has, like, you know, a troop of Boy Scouts in a dungeon in his basement. Yeah, he's... he's You know we will. He's the Bill Cosby of the 2020s. No, he's... I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's what I call the good guy daddy of entertainment. You know, he's one of those guys right now that everybody seems to love equally and has no detractors and he's just one of those sainted figures keep going for family i'm not family no your cargo you're okay with the show i'm 75 percent of okay with the show would you be more than okay with the show if you were a younger man now if you were in your 20s or teens now yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, look, the, the show's the real deal, regardless of the episode. I mean, I keep, I keep trying to de-emphasize the build of the episode because individual episodes don't really mean much with HBO. You know, they're, they're signposts along the way, but the season is the work of art. And the, the art of building and, and quilting a season is a big deal. Uh, but when I, when I was a kid, I mean, whether it's today or yesterday, it's like this is, uh, this is the main event, man, on the idiot box. This is the thing right now. There's nothing else bigger in TV happening. The video game thing, probably, I definitely would have played the video game whether I would have gotten further. It would have at least had brand identification uh, based on, you know, the, the importance of the size of the game effort would have granted it some plenary indulgence as a TV product for sure. Um, you know, on the, you know, that 35 opening minute, opening, 35 minute opening sequence was pretty good i mean that that is enough yeah. to hook you that's the fish hook. Was, yeah yeah it's good and it it's was like, so superior to the rest of the show in my opinion it was no i actually thought that too um i young me also would not have been filled to satiation by the glut of apocalypse stuff which as you said there clearly is that that is uh you know it's a problem that people are like hitting this one groove in a bowling alley over and over again with one form of genre entertainment and see vampires it's werewolves. It's this. You know, yeah, it's some yeah. some variation like, on a few things, but that's that's kind of it. Zombies won't go away. One of our our friend and listener, Aaron Grunfeld, has never liked zombies, and I remember like ten years ago him saying, "Oh my God, zombies is such a tired trope." He's right. And as much as I enjoyed them, he was right. <laughs> but I'm like, hey, they touch a nerve with me, and here we are, ten years later, and they're you know, in some respect, bigger than ever. Uh, yeah, I would have liked this more. I mean, I. I love the first few scenes of The Walking Dead. I guess that only started 10 years ago or so. But before that, The Walking Dead comic book. I was, you know, my late 20s, early 30s when that started. I was I was an original adapter of the... I, I joined it like issue three. Oh, I read issue, I read issue one and didn't touch it again for a while. You know? Really? Yeah. I have a whole stack of original, in good shape, Walking Dead comic books that I, I keep with me because one of these days I'm going to try to sell them on eBay. Uh yeah, so I think it wouldn't have seemed as tired for me if I were young now. So, you know, the juice I get out of it would have been extra juicy. Uh, also, you know, something I say a lot about, about a lot of topics here, I would have found it more profound. I would have found it more intellectual. I would have found it more, it says something deep. Now I'm just old and cynical. I'm like, yeah, it's just entertaining. Uh, also for me, you know, I have not been able to adapt to modern video games. And if I were younger, I would have been native to that. So I think I really would like a game like this with solid storytelling, with the apocalyptic thing, with the zombies. You know, I remember when uh, uh, Batman Arkham City came out. And in some respect, that was like the video game I dreamed of when I'm a kid. You know, I'm Batman. I'm flying around. I'm fighting all the villains in Arkham Asylum. That was my favorite shit as a kid when I was obsessed with Batman. 
And I tried playing it maybe 10 years ago, and I just I couldn't wrap my mind. I fucking over. hated that game for that reason. It was just I know, unplayable. If, if I Apparently not, because there's like six sequels and millions of people love it. If I had been 16 when that game came out, I would have like chopped off my arm for it and played all the time and probably figured it out. But in here I'm playing, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, how do I swing over here? What's that? You know, like just, you know, oh, that's cool. They have, you know, Mr. Zaz there. Great. How do I fight him? I can't move this thing. It was just so frustrating for me. But if I were younger, I don't think I'd have those problems. So, and I like adaptations. Like we talked about this with the Sandman. If there's source material I like, I'm one of these people who wants to see what they do with it when they make a movie out of it, when they make a TV show out of it. Even if they get it wrong, I'm usually glad they tried. You know, we talked about this with Justice League. It wasn't great, but you know, at least they I, I, they'll try again, right? You know, I wasn't pissed off about the the shitty Watchmen movie because who cares? It's just a movie. You don't have to watch it, right? The book is still there. Billions of puppets with poisoned minds permanently fixed on one unifying goal: to spread the infection to every last human alive by any means necessary. And there are no treatments for this, no preventatives, no cures. They don't exist. It's not even possible to make them. No, is this sign of the apocalypse a sign of the apocalypse? Ironically, no. I just don't see how. Like I say, like, I mean, I don't know. Is there something to the fact that zombies are never going away that's bad? Is there something to the fact that video games have become the level of cinema that's a problematic? I'm sure a lot of moral scolds will say that, but those people are morons. So I just don't see how this is a problem anyway, this TV show. I mean, you want to say if this show's just, eh, and this is, you know, people are treating this like The Sopranos, which is, you know, I mean, Bill and I agree it's one of the great, possibly the greatest TV show ever. Full stop. Like you could, yeah, yeah you could say degrading of, uh, well, I don't know, She's the Sheriff was pretty good. Uh, you could say it's the degrading of art and society, but... I yeah, know. I mean, that's why I, when I was taking my notes down, I'm like, this is a really weirdly reflexive question uh, on account of the setting of the show. Um, but obviously, it, the adaptation of this, who knows how things come to HBO, how they get, you know, how many years it takes a show to get workshopped and developed. Um, I'm assuming that it gathered momentum during uh, COVID, you know. In fact, this this thing was shot, I think it was shot over between 21 and 22, yeah, right, uh, right, right. As soon as the lockdowns ended, I believe. Yeah, uh, and it was up in Alberta. In fact, yeah. And so Alberta, Alberta is playing both Austin, Texas, and Boston in this case. And you know, there's, I mean, no, <laughs> look, no, nobody knows what Austin looks like. Uh, really, like, I'm not on film. It's not really a representative. Austin doesn't really look like any. I like yeah. Austin, but it's one of these cities, just highways and places. Yeah, on the I mean, that's the thing about like, Boston. I mean, well, downtown's pretty cool though. Boston has there's like a couple of drags in Boston, which is like you know, it's. I guess you can get away with it because a lot of Americans haven't been to Boston. It's not like New York or right. Los Angeles. Well, 20 years after an apocalypse, you know, it's not like you're going to see, you know, Harvard there and stuff. I mean, Commerce Street? No, it's true. Uh, yeah, you're, I guess, yeah. But yeah, uh, I, no, but I was going to say though, but it, it, I mean, everything about it may be a sign of the apocalypse, but, you know, quite literally, but it doesn't, I don't think it, it, the, the success of the show or the presence thereof doesn't augur literal apocalypse or poorly for, for entertainment or society in the main. Thank How you. did you get your accent in such great shape? Um, I had a dialect coach, mm. um, which was helpful. And uh, we started, the first like phrase I mastered was like olive oil. Olive oil. It's really hard, like olive, olive oil. oil. And then <laughs> By any respect, are you jealous of the existence 
of literally, I was about to say, this is us. I just, I keep doing that in my head. Uh, the last of us, are you jealous of it? Are you jealous of its, you know, out of the gate success, its existence, et cetera. You know, that reminds me, I, I have a malapropism. Every time I say Tony Kushner, I say he's the author of uh, Angels in the Outfield, which is <laughs> clearly not the case. But I, for some reason, I cannot, when I just rattle it really quickly, I'm like, yeah, Tony Kushner, he wrote the, you know, the big omnibus Angels in the Outfield yeah. adapted by Mike Nichols, you know. Uh, my, I, very briefly, my Tony Kushner story, I'm at Shakespeare in the Park in New York talking to, I guess, a friend of mine who was, who was involved in the theater world. And I don't remember what I was telling him, but it was something kind of personal. We're just chatting. And literally, I'm like mid-word a personal story, and he runs away from me because Tony Kushner walked in. And he had met Tony Kushner before, so he wanted to go say hi to Tony Kushner. So, like, I'm pouring my heart out to a friend and, like, no, Tony you got, Kushner. You got big My times. acquaintance, Tony Kushner. You got big times, got, yeah. man. Wow. So, you know, I don't blame Tony Kushner for that, but, you know. Yeah, the, the answer— uh, yeah, the the answer is yes. Uh, I, yeah, there there is. Here's the thing: the game made me jealous. I was gonna say to to, to, put, yes. a, to put a fine point on it. Um, I only gave three hours of my of my you know life to a test drive. The curve the curve of difficulty was too much. Much like you had with that uh, Batman game, you know, each game has its own mechanic. It's sort of a game mechanic of how it's designed, and you have to really master it. If it's a combat game, which is generally what these things are, we're describing. If it's gonna be cinematic. Chances are you're fighting, you're driving, you're, you're, you're jumping, you're kicking, you're doing all these things, shooting. And you really have to be able to maintain the mechanic. I, it did not work. That Batman game did not work for me. And The the Last of Us did not work for me either. And so, so here's the thing. You know, I wasn't able to play it. On the other hand, it leaves me unspoiled. If There was such a, such a quantity of game players who are watching the show. I think the crossover is amazing. But all that means is that they know exactly how it's going to end. Apparently, you know, there's an ending to this that is yes. either ironic or it's there to be spoiled. And so many of the people... This isn't like Game of Thrones, right? Because Game of Thrones, there was a lot... Don't get me wrong, a lot of readers. But the Watchers far exceeded the amount of readers who were familiar with Well, the- but, but maybe if this thing keeps picking up steam five episodes in, it'll pick up a lot of viewers... Who have no, you know, I mean, it's how it starts. I bet Game of Thrones started with the the nerds who read all the books. Probably. It probably did. And that's what's amazing. It's like, well, what percentage of an adaptation, uh, especially if it's an adaptation, Game of Thrones was based on scandalizing the viewer. You were supposed to have the rug pulled out from under you every episode by something huge. You know, all George R.R.R.R.R.R. Martin ever did was kill characters that you loved after you fell in love with them. That was, that was. Well, first you saw them having sex with each other. Yeah. And then he would kill them in the most violent manner. And so to have a TV show picks up on that, you know, all, all the normies would watch the show and they would just crow about it on social media the next day. And the 10 people who read the book said, yeah, I read that in 2003. I knew that was coming. That's the whole point of this. So, but it's like far more people have watched the game. I played the game and they know what's coming. And yet I'm assuming that they're still into the show in spite of having been spoiled uh, for it. So, I mean, that, that's interesting. I mean, I, I'm, but I guess in that respect, I'm not jealous of the people. I'm not jealous of them because I am fresh. Whatever happens down the line will be a surprise. I just get to watch this unfold without a sense of eventuality of knowing what's coming. Mm. I mean, I don't, I guess you could be jealous of those people, but, you know, watching Sandman, like I said, I like adaptations. I want to see the stuff I remember. I, I knew the, the twist at the end of Citizen Kane before I even saw it. And I've since seen it dozens of times and I still love it. Like, yeah. I'm not, I know uh, people who are so like angry about spoilers 
they don't really well, bother me that how much. About, how about you know, this? It's... To be fair, something you're describing like Citizen Kane is a piece of art, sui generis piece of art from beginning to end. You know, the the end, again, granted it's a spoiler, but the problem with most entertainment today is that it's built spoiler out. You know, like everything else is in service of the one thing. If you take that away... The rest, right. of the, art, the rest of the art that you hang a turn or a twist on, it's like jump scares right. in horror movies. If you pull the jump scares out, you don't have a movie anymore. And that's why some of this stuff does wind up demeaning entertainment if you really don't have anything else besides the spoil, the twist. The, right. The, the twist is, yeah, the only thing yeah, of value. You got it. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not like those people should be jealous of me. Anyway, yeah, I stand with you. i jealous. I wish I could play this damn game. It makes me feel like a moron when I engage with that stuff. And then, like, you know, I'm going to be one of those 75-year-old guys who can't work his phone, you know? I'm really scared of that. Um, what I'm jealous of is that I had barely heard of this game, and I barely heard of this phenomenon. I mean, I think if you would... I've, the Last of Us I knew was some video game. I didn't know it was about zombies, right? So it's just this perpetual thing on this fucking show where we talk about things that are, like, the biggest thing ever in history, and I don't know what exists. Yeah, because you know? the silo is it's outside just, your reach. I get it. Right. Well, also that I'm a decrepit old man, you know, and it reminds me of how, you know, my entertainment irrelevance, as our tagline says. So that makes me jealous of youth, jealous of, you know, people who have value in this world. Um, you know, it, it's just, Yeah. Definitely, definitely jealous of the phenomenon, not as jealous as some other things. So, Bill, uh, we our final thing on the show, we need to make a comment. I need to make a comment. So this started as the Felonian scale. And what that meant is we were comparing things, comparing our topic of this week to other topics of the past on an XYZ axis. But we called it Felonian because we were saying, naming after Jimmy Fallon, who we said was absolute zero, the worst thing possible. One of our early topics. But we I, at least I've since softened a bit on Jimmy Fallon. Is it fair to say you've softened a bit on Jimmy Fallon? Uh, do I hate him? Only because I haven't thought of him. It's just like it's covered in dust. It's, right. You know. I just think he's so much less toxic than so many other things out there. So I don't feel good about that. So it mutated into, instead of the Felonian scale, the fallopian scale. Yeah. And we were going to call it that, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. On Facebook this week, one of our listeners and our uh, former guest, Amanda Swavy. Amanda, <laughs> Amanda Swavy. I, th- I don't think she was actually angry, but no, called us out I don't think she for, for using as the, the North Star of our hatred a part of the female anatomy. It's just not 2023. It's not, not yeah. a good thing to do. So I decided for at least for the time being, we're going we're gonna to swing back in the other direction. And I want to call it for now the testicular scale. So, okay, is that all right for now? We can change it later, but for now, it's the testicular scale. Yeah, it's in green ink so, on the dry erase board, no problem. Right. So on the testicular scale, the XYZ axis of all our past topics, going on 250, where do you place The Last of Us? Um, as, you know, hang me with me here. I know I always try to go, I don't like to go media for media's sake. I want to sort of jump over and pick something that is um, not quite orthogonal. I'm going to compare this to Lizzo of all people. <laughs> Okay. Stay with me here. It, it's. I think it's well done. I want to see Lizzo guest star on this show. It could happen. Playing James uh, Madison's flute. I, wanna, I thought I was going to say she's playing a, a mushroom-faced zombie of some sort. but. Well, she can, but a zombie that plays James Madison's flute. Was it James Madison's flute or James yeah. Monroe's flute? No, I think it was Madison. Which, no, which? Madison? Okay. Yeah. It, look, Lizzo is a... Uh, Liz, uh, this is a well-done thing. This feels fresh, even though it's a little to the left of things we've already seen. Not, not the ho- most wholly original kind of property. Uh, but at the same time, like my taste level, it's not my favorite thing, um, you know, and, and 
this doesn't show signs of changing my life early at the gate the way other Sunday at Nine on HBO shows have. I mean, again, my my loyalty to this network, my loyalty to this programming slot, my loyalty to this this idea, this notion, it transcends just watching TV shows. You know, the, the Sopranos in some ways is kind of central to my uh, uh, aesthetic being. It's it's central to you know, uh, parts of my, my intellectual outlook of the world. It, 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 it changes the way in which you see the planet Earth. If, if, if you, if someone reached into your brain and made you forget everything about the Sopranos and the Jerky Boys, you would have nothing left. It'd be co- just comic Cobra books. Commander, that'd be it, yes. It, it'll, be, it'll be comic books, G.I. Joe, which overlap, and movies. I mean, you got movies. So I think, you know, Lizzo is in some ways archetypally a lot of those same features. Again, Lizzo is, is very talented. Uh, the music is very well put together. It feels fresh, even though it's, you know, it's a spin on the kind of thing we've seen bits and pieces of before. And it's not my favorite thing. You know, it's, it's plain and simple. I'm not, I'm not running either of these two things down. I'm just saying there's some similarities between Lizzo and The Last of Us. Okay, so you you put it on the same level as Lizzo. I, you know, the whole episode I was joking about This Is Us, I get it mixed up with This Is Us, and I think on the testicular scale, I put The Last of Us exactly in the same place, on top of, in The Matrix, This Is Us. Because while I find the show far more interesting in terms of subject matter, the, the extent to which I find it far more interesting, I find it the same extent worse acting, Okay. Because you don't have Sterling K. Brown and whoever those other people were on This Is Us. So it's more interesting than This Is Us, but to the same extent it has worse acting. Therefore, you place its points on the same place in the... I'm not saying this right. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's almost... You need need a quantum theory because it's both there and not there at the same time. We need a quantum computer to explain (laughs) this. But Google's on it. They're working on it. So are the Chinese. You need three three positions. Is that story in the New Yorker. You need three points of data. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. I read that too. We need a slide rule to to finish the show out. Uh, No, we don't. So, Bill, uh, uh, walk us out here. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to walk us out. So if if you'd like to find past episodes of this program... Uh, look on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us traditionally, Noah and Bill don't get it at gmail.com. It will come into our email inboxes and we will, um, a hand scriven with a, a quill pen. Yes. Answers tell back us, to tell you. us why calling it the testicular scale is just as bad as calling it the fallopian yeah. scale. Yeah. Uh, give us a review, of course. We always want that. I'm on Twitter. I could be engaged at William Scurry in my, uh, video, uh, production content, uh, material, content material is on uh, YouTube at youtube.com slash AM. Caesar and uh, here Noah has similar things to tell you about what he's up to here is Noah uh, I am all about the big quiz thing America's finest source for custom and private live trivia events in person and virtually uh, Bill my plan for today is uh, I'm finishing up preparation for tomorrow I'm hosting a virtual 14th birthday party uh, kid who loves the world of theater so that's that's always fun to put together I love theater uh, but, you know, whatever your trivia hopes and dreams are, we can make them come true nationwide, worldwide. Go to BigQuizThing.com, learn about how you can get the finest in trivia for your own private party, fundraiser, corporate team building event, etc. BigQuizThing.com. And I personally am on Instagram at the Noah Tarno. I've been trying to get into Instagram. It's all right, because I've been trying to get off cat, Twitter. But cat a pictures. Lot of time, cat pictures. Here's... With cat pictures. I got a new cat. It's very exciting. But here's my problem with Instagram, Bill, as a replacement of Twitter. Often I want to say things, but there's no visual element. 
it doesn't work. So yeah, you so can't you I can't ever repartee. Really There's no going back and forth. There's no repartee. Yeah, it's no going back. And I just Twitter. And, uh, so there you have it. Uh, Bigquisting.com or me personally, the Noah Tarno at Instagram. So until the next episode of this podcast, when pricey white truffles drive our behavior to insane levels to do strange things, we, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises, twenty twenty three.